Howdy, howdy. Welcome. Thank you for joining us for Deer Talk Now. The Deer Talk Now podcast is now live. Uh, my name is Dan Schmidt. I'm with Deer and Deer Hunting. I've been with Deer and Deer Hunting. It'll be almost 29 years, if you can believe that, coming up this fall. Um, I want to welcome you to the podcast. Wherever you're listening to this podcast or watching this podcast, again, all we ask is that you like and subscribe to the podcast. Give us a comment. We appreciate that. Whether you like it or dislike it, we would love to hear your comments because that's what we use to make these more uh, improved for you and give you more topics and more guests. Today, I am going solo because I'm going to be doing a podcast that is near and dear, uh, no pun intended, to my heart, and that is about trees. Trees are my second love in the outdoors next to whitetail deer, and um, I've had a fascination with trees for many, many years, especially planting them. Now, I plant them for personal use, and I also plant them for hunting purposes, more hunting purposes these days than, uh, well, I shouldn't say that because I just, I really enjoy putting my hands in the dirt and seeing a tree grow to full size. And I think I got that from my mom. She used to do it with, um, she would start little uh, willow uh, twigs in a bucket. And today those willow trees are just enormous, big weeping willows and they're beautiful. And I really uh, give most of that credit to my mom, uh, rest her soul. She passed away quite a few years ago already, but, um, that is where my love of trees comes from. Today, I plant trees for food and cover for wildlife and also for the beauty of the trees. But what I'm going to tell you today is this is going to be tailored towards you guys and gals who only have a couple acres. I mean, I have never owned a bunch of land in my life. I've started, I've owned for various purposes, three different properties in my life, very small properties, anywhere from five acres to 10 acres. And what I do is I use trees. Uh, Ian, I'm going to ask you, Ian, my producer, Ian, when is the best time to plant a tree? Right now? Yesterday. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the best time to plant a tree is yesterday. But what I'm going to talk about today is um, what the things that need to go into your thought process before planting any tree. And you're going to really reap the benefits, whether you own that land or not anymore. 10, 20, 30, 50 years from now. Um, I know the trees that I've planted on the properties I no longer own are being valued and admired by the people who own them, and that gives me a certain sense of uh, gratitude. Okay, so let me get to the to the point. I'm going to make, I could talk literally all day on this because I absolutely love trees. Um, this is going to be tailored to my experience, whether that relates to you or not, uh, tree species specifically. I don't think really matters. I think that the tenants of planting trees comes down to just having a little bit of knowledge of silviculture. And that it's not, it's not very involved. You can find out a lot of information on the web. But the thing that, things that I'm going to try to impress upon you today is to help um, shorten your learning curve and also alleviate some of the problems because you're going to deal with problems when you're planting any trees. So the first thing uh, you need to do is to make, now you need to make a plan. Okay. Number one is the purpose, then the location, and then some of the technical things like spacing. So let's get into making a plan. It doesn't have to be super elaborate, but you really have to have a bird's eye view when you're planting trees because those little seedlings that you plant today get bigger. And then you're like, damn it, you know, five years from now, you wish you would have done this or that or the other thing. So the the purpose, what I always do, I'm doing that right now on a property I just bought here two years ago, is, is it going to be food, cover, bedding, or travel for deer? And now I'm always thinking about deer. I'm thinking about turkeys and other things, but for, for most of my tree plantings are going to be deer related. So the, the food is easy. I mean, it could be Soft mass, like um, apples or pears or plums or anything like that. It could be cover. It could be thermal cover. So that would be your conifers and things like that. Um, it could be bedding, which is um, normally in those early cycles of trees would be your conifers in most places. Could be shrubs. And and I will lump shrubs into the tree uh, talk as, as I'm going here. And it also could be travel. So when we think of travel corridors for deer, a lot of times you don't think of certain ways you can use trees to do that. And it's not just like, oh, I'm going to slam this little S-curve of my land with some spruce to make it thick so the deer are going to travel through there. 
Yeah, that could help. Um, it certainly does. But the other thing that I like to think of is on a small property, you can really link um, the dots, so to speak, with not only cover trees like conifers, but you can also do it with shrubs and mass trees, whether they're, it's hard mass or soft mass. So basically, um, as Steve Bartilla always says, you know, you want to have deer spend a disproportionate amount of time on your property. You want to make it um, enticing for them to travel through your, your, your property. And you can do that with cover, but you can also do it by some strategic plantings of food trees. And I'll get to that. Um, the second thing in making a plan is your location um, of where you're going to plant the trees. The, the thing that I would recommend to anyone if you have, let's just say, 40 acres or less, that's the common denominator for a small property owner. It could be 100 acres, but I would love to put my hands on a 100-acre canvas, so to speak, with uh, with trees because I could do a lot with it. But 40 acres or less, I highly recommend not just slamming that thing full of trees, whether it's going to be fruit trees or you know, uh, cover trees. Really have that location plan because you want to hunt it. And especially if you have the luxury of time, if you're a younger person, if you're only 30 or 40 years old, the world is your oyster when it comes to planting trees. Because 20 years in a tree's life, is gonna you're going to reap a lot of benefits from it. The older you get, <clears throat> you might be doing it for your grandkids or the future generations. So you can just have that satisfaction of doing it. But location, the biggest things you have to uh, keep in mind are soil sunlight and precipitation and how all three are going to affect where you want to put those trees. Soil, you can't do much about it. Either you have good soil or you don't. Uh, If you live where I live and it's rocky where every five feet is a rock and it's like, I don't know how I'm going to plant any trees on this, that's a consideration. So you're going to have to consider what kind of species you want to put in there and um, where you're going to place them. Sunlight is huge for all trees. A lot of trees require full sunlight. Some uh, you can get away with planting in partial shade, but you need to know that. You need to know how that sun is hitting that landscape, that location, for you to be able to plant trees and have them make it is the big thing. And precipitation, you can't do much about that. But if you have, uh, if you want to plant like fruit trees or other mass trees, if you're not in an area that gets great precipitation, you're going to have to think about ways to irrigate. because let's face it, uh, especially I planted an apple orchard last year, and then I planted uh, several strategic apple plantings last year. And those first couple years, I know I have to get water to those trees. I paid a lot for those trees. There were trees that I really wanted. Um, drove 150 miles to get them. Uh, you have to make sure that those types of trees in their infancy stages are going to require some water. So you have to think that through. So, okay, purpose we went through, location we went through. The third thing is spacing critical when planting any tree is you have to understand that species. So you kind of got to do your research on every species you want to plant. And then if you're going to plant it, look at that, that map that you're drawing for your property and decide. I, th- I think the biggest thing that we, we kind of happens is we get all excited. You know, it's kind of like opening day of fishing. Like I'm going to run out there and be chest deep in water casting hoping to catch a fish that's kind of how people are with trees oh man i'm gonna this year me i've been doing this for 30 years but this year me i went out and bought 1500 tamaracks man i'm gonna plant all these tamaracks now i'm like oh oh muy's noches you know it's like (laughs) i'm looking at i've i've got 1100 trees to plant yet so i mean i'm keeping them cold and it but spacing is huge so what you want to do is look at that little map and for me uh, I'll give you an example. A little S curve of tamaracks I want to plant this year. I had cleared out a spot that's a hilly spot next to my swamp. And I know those trees need at least eight foot uh, spacing in between them. Because those trees, uh, American larch, they get huge. Now, they're going to be this big around. Will I see it? No. But once those trees start growing, if I've got them too close together, you deal with mold. You deal with mildew. You deal with overcrowding, and on some species, you get a a root girdle between the trees. So if you plant them too close together, you're like, ah, well, I'm going to plant them close together because if some die, I don't care. Well, that could affect those other trees, so those roots could grow together, and then you wind up 
sabotaging your efforts. So always what I say is err on the side of more. So if they say eight foot spacing, I'll do 12 foot spacing on fruit trees, apple trees. If uh, the recommendation is, you know, 20 foot spacing, I give them at least 25 apple trees, especially on standard size trees. I give them more because pollination is going to happen no matter what. I mean, if you've got them 30 feet apart, it's going to if you get them 50 feet apart, they're going to pollinate just fine for those purposes. But if I have them too close, if I plant them 10 feet apart, within 10 years, I went through all that work to get those trees in the ground and get them established. And now they're too darn close together. And then I'll either have, probably have on an apple tree cutting one out of there. And that just kills me to do that on a tree that I've got 10 years invested into. I don't want to do that. So I want to have that plan in the beginning on the spacing to make sure that that is correct. Okay, the third thing is pick your species. We get excited. We read something and say, oh, so-and-so said I should plant, you know, chestnuts or I should plant, you know, white pine or red pine, whatever it happens to be. You know, it, it, whatever region you're in, you're going to want to plant trees that are, are, let me talk about that for a second. Don't get too exotic. If you've never done this before, if you're new to it, don't get exotic and say, and do the flavor of the day. Because invariably, what's going to happen, it's going to fail. And I don't want to be pessimistic. I just want to be realistic for you. Go with If you haven't done this much, go with trees that are, are known producers in your area and, and start with that. And then see where you can go. And the other thing uh, that you want to do that is you want to stagger your uh, temper your excitement and stagger your efforts. Uh, you, you you might want to run out there and buy a thousand trees this year. What if we have a drought this summer? Oh, man, that's going to be a tough one to swallow, isn't it? So what you're going to want to do is maybe take off bits and pieces. You have that plan. I want to have some fruit trees. I want to have some travel trees. I want to have some interspersed stuff. I want to have some shrubs. And I'm going to start with a little bit this year. Get those established and then add them. And you'll be surprised, especially on cover trees, Three years isn't much of a difference um, in growth. So I've done this on a property I used to own. There was a neighboring uh, fence line that I wanted to have some cover. And basically just because I, I was going to put a food plot in there. And it wouldn't have been very ideal had I done that without having a cover. So I used um, some, I used red pine, I used white pine, I used white spruce. And I staggered those over the course of like three years. And within 10 years, those trees, you couldn't, I defy you to tell the age difference on those trees. They are all about the same. So you're going to, you're going to have the luxury of a little bit of time there in a window. Um, when you pick your species, pick them to the zone that you live in. Um, my zone, they say five. If you look at the zone maps, uh, USDA zone maps, I always err to the side of colder. If I can, I'll, I'll err to the side of a three, you know, the, those really cold, hardy trees because here where I live, it can get cold. And the last thing I want to do is, um, I'll give you some, ex well, I'll give you an example now. Um, on a mass tree, like a chestnut, you know, those Dunstan chestnuts, they're awesome. Our, our friends over at Chestnut Hill, they have the exclusive arrangement. with Those trees are awesome. But I've known people, I've had some that have made it. Thank goodness. And this is about the northern cusp of the range. But I have other friends that went through a lot of, trouble and tried to plant those in a zone three like i said i'm in a zone five and then they lost them and that's going to be a tough one to swallow so go with your zone and err on the side of caution is what i would do when you're starting and then if you want to get a little creative after that you can do that but uh stay within your zone if you're planting um fruit bearing trees pollination is absolutely critical and what you have to um, consider on that is i use the example of apples i'll use it on crab apples i'll use it on like shrubs like elderberries and, and things like that, that require cross-pollination. So you might just say, hey, I want to have these, these apples. Uh, my buddy told me these, uh, well, let's pick a, pick a Cortland or something, is an awesome tree. So I went out and bought 10 trees. Well, guess what? They're, they're not going to pollinate the way they should because you need cross-pollination on apple trees. So keep that in mind when you're planting uh, fruit-bearing trees. And then trees versus shrubs. What I would recommend starting off, plant some easy trees, plant some easy shrubs. And then when you have a better, if you're just doing it now, if you're sitting down watching or listening to this podcast, watching or listening to this podcast and say, I want to do it right now. It's perfect time to do it. Spring is the time to do this. 
but you really should have been planning this out probably in January. Can you still do it right now? Absolutely, you can still do it right now. But um, like I said, don't run out and spend a ton of money on it if you're just starting this. What you should do is try a couple things. Nothing wrong with going to the nursery, getting a few trees. You don't have to spend a ton of money on this, and you can shop around. Um, quality is usually dictated by price. So I will err towards uh, nursery stock for a lot of these things, but I'm going to get into that in a little bit here as far as what types of trees you should buy and where you should buy them from and what is your end goal. Um, the stock is important. Um, why don't I just do it right now? The stock is important. So if you're doing, let me break this down. If you're doing it in cover for cover trees, and let's say you want to plant uh, conifers, pines, spruce, tamaracks, balsam fir, um, anything like that. Um, your state agency has a program, I'm sure, forestry department that you can get your trees from, get, get them very cheap, cheap. The reason why I went with the Tamaracks this year, they were like, I don't know, they were like 40 cents a piece. Yeah, I've got boxes of a thousand trees in a box at home waiting to be planted. It's 30 degrees today, so I got plenty, plenty of time. If you're buying stock, if it's that cold, you're going to be okay. If it's warm, you better have some friends to help you. Um, that's where if you're doing it in bulk, you can get by with cheap trees from the state. Um, can you get by with, you see some of these places advertise, oh, deer apples, and they're selling you these random trees. I'm not saying don't buy them. I would just be cautious with it because if you don't know the strain, you don't know the zone that tree's for, you don't know the pollination required for that tree, it's kind of a crapshoot, and it's like if you want to do it, fine. But I would leave. What I would do is, let's say you find some killer deal at the farm store for you know eight bucks an apple tree, and you can buy a bunch of them. That's cheap, by the way, for apple trees. Um, I would say yes, but then plant them and space them out accordingly. What I would do is, I would let's just say because I know guys who have done this. They ran out, they bought, I got these 10 apple trees from the farm store. Oh, really? What kind are they? I don't know. They just said they're apple trees. All right. They could be all the same apples. So what I would do is I would plant those out and space them pretty far out. And then I would either go back in this year, if you can find other stock and get several varieties or next year, map it out. And then you're never going to know what that tree was anyways. You're, you're not going to know what kind of it is. You might get an apple. I think it's a red apple. Okay. Well, I don't know what that is. Um, and then you could, you know, where I'm going with this, you could go in and you could stagger cross pollinators after the fact. Not a problem with that. Um, for me, for apple trees, I'm kind of geeky because I love them so much. Um, I ab absolutely enjoy um, the whole self-sufficiency. So I make tons of applesauce. I make tons of dried apple fruit in my dehydrator. So that kind of thing, yeah, I've got way more than I need. But for me, um, if you're growing apple trees, I could go off and, talk, like I said, talk about this all day long. But if you're growing apple trees for just the sake of for deer, it doesn't really matter. But my stock is an apple tree. I don't skimp on it. That I, I get bare root stock. I don't buy container trees. I'm not saying that you can't do that. I'll get to that in a minute. That's another whole topic. Well, let's talk about it. So bare root trees for fruit trees. For the the old adage among fruit growers in America is you don't uh, you don't manage for the tree, you man manage for the fruit. So if you go to YouTube and you Google this, um, Washington State is where most of our apples come from. And if you look at those trees, they look like bushes. I mean, you're getting beautiful, like pink ladies and Cortland's and stuff. And it's like, God, these trees, the, the, the apples you get at the store are awesome, right? Well, they grow that for the fruit. So you're not seeing this big, beautiful apple tree. It's basically a shrub that they engineer to be that way. I don't want that to be that way for deer because deer browse apple trees, bucks rub them, mice girdle them, uh, you know, they chew around the trunks. So I manage for the tree. So it's a lot of babying, getting that tree in the ground. And the reason why I, I personally don't do it anymore with container stock. Container stock is when you go to the store and they have an apple tree in that container and that root ball is right contained in there. 
nothing wrong with that. That tree's not going to live a super long time. That That's not going to be one of these legacy trees that you see over by your apartments where they used to have an apple orchard. And, you know, they've got 50, 60-year-old unkempt apple trees, but they're gorgeous trees if you trimmed them up. That's the tree that I want for my property that I'm going to put in. Some people might disagree with me that with that, but I do it from a bare root because that tree is growing like a tree then. And if you put in a container stock, the immediate result is within five or six years, you're going to have boatloads of apples. But you're going to deal with problems like that tree getting busting and, and uh, snapping off because it's just so much weight and not a very established root base and, and other problems. Or if disease comes through or something like that, it's like, you know what, if I would have just planted uh, bare root trees, yeah, it would have taken a little bit longer, but it would have been a better tree. Or another thing that I've done is you can stagger it. You can plant a bunch of apple trees from rootstock, knowing full well you're not going to have fruit probably for six or eight years, long time to wait, and then maybe staggering it with some container trees that you're going to have fruit in a couple years. I've had container trees that I planted um, I have a picture of my youngest daughter. She was probably four years old. We did, It was a cute photo. But we had an, I had an old pickup truck filled with apples. And those all came from trees that were just a couple years old. And they were from root, uh, container stock. But those trees, if you look at that property now, I, I haven't been there, but I mean, if you look at that property now, those trees probably aren't in the best of shape. So it was like within a three to eight-year range, maybe ten, um, lots and lots of apples. And if that's what you want, great. But I personally will do it from rootstock. Um, the other thing that I was going to say is rootstock is, it, it's kind of a double-edged sword. So if you do it from, like we're going to talk about those uh, cover trees, like container, uh, I'm sorry, cover trees like, uh, you know, the spruces and the pines and stuff like that. Um, I want trees with small root i want the younger trees so you're going to get those little whips that are about you know a foot and a half long maybe and the the little root systems are just a little wispy thing those are the ones that i want if i'm planting them in mass and sometimes you'll show up in the state or the county or wherever you're getting these trees you can get bulk trees from and they give you these packs of 25 50 gorgeous conifers with these really beautiful um uh, roots started. I mean, some of those roots are as big as my thumb. Awesome. But guess what? Those are a bitch to plant if you're doing it by hand. Excuse my language. If you're doing it with a, a tractor and a planter, different story. If you're doing it by hand in rocky country, you're much stronger man or woman than I am. Well, not a woman, but stronger man than I am because it is difficult uh, to plant those and get them to go. Because what you need to do I should teach a course on this, Ian, because there's so much to consume here. But um, the roots, when you put them in the ground, need to go straight down in the ground, and they have to be kind of spread out. So kind of wisp them out. And you, But the thing you don't want is if you take a little seedling, you don't want to just stick it in that hole and cover it up with dirt. And if those roots kind of come up like a J, um, that tree's not going to make it. It's not. It, you got to learn how to plant the trees. Plenty of tutorials out there. It doesn't take a lot of time, but that's something you have to figure out whether you're, regardless if you're planting cover trees or fruit trees. The the root base is the most important thing. You cannot have uh, air pockets in there. Um, you, I really recommend root gel. Uh, root gel is just a little powdery, looks like Kool-Aid. You put it in water, you stir it around, so it, it kind of looks like a little bit of a paste. You dunk a tree in there, it kind of looks like tapioca on the end of, don't get it on the base of the tree, just on the, on the ends of the roots. And that will help you in years of drought. Um, so I know kind of all over the board there. Stocks, extremely important. Um, and how you plant it as far as the root bases, uh, extremely important, no matter what types of trees that you're going to plant. And stagger your efforts, if all things. One thing I'm going to mention before I go on to the next topic, two things. Um, and this, I have no idea who runs this company. I'm just going to give you a product name because I believe in it and it has saved me enormous amount of time. Write this down. It's called the Jim Gem Tree Dibble. It's basically a little iron tree planter. You can find rip-off versions of it that are cheaper. I wouldn't recommend that. Um, if, you, if you're planting trees by hand in hard soil that has rocks, 
this thing is the ticket. It has saved my back. It has saved many trees. And I've done so many by hand with a shovel over the years where I was on my hands and knees and just cursing at the wind because it's a lot of work. Uh, and, and so that's one product that I will mention that is definitely worth it. It's probably 70 or 80 bucks, um, but it's well worth it if you're going to be planting trees for more than one year. Um, could you rent them? Possibly. Maybe go to your local rental center, see if they have one. Somebody's probably going to try to pal off just a regular tree spade on you. If that's all you can get, fine. But uh, it's, I guess it's better. If you're planting bare root trees, fine. If you're planting apple trees, you need a shovel. If you're planting little plug conifers, plugs are awesome, by the way. Um, a plug is basically like those are trees you get by the thousands. It's basically a little plug that has the soil and the roots in it with a dibble, I could do, I could do a hundred in an hour. Easy. I mean, as long as I don't have tons of rocks, I could do a hundred in an hour. The other thing I'm going to say is, um, uh, I'm going to get, get to that. The other thing you have to keep in mind is insect damage and deer damage to your seedlings. I'll talk about that here in a minute. Deer Talk Now is brought to you by Apex Outdoor Rewards. Each year, Apex Outdoor Rewards gives both whitetail and turkey hunters the chance to win big payouts on their harvests. There are only 2,500 spots left for this year's turkey challenge, and they're filling up fast. For more information and to register, visit apexoutdoorrewards.com. So um, we've uh, made a plan. We've picked our species. Um, that's a tough one I, that I need to elaborate on. And we started um, efforts in planting them. First of all, I did say I was going to talk about uh, insects and diseases, but I'm going to actually table that for a second. When I say pick your species, okay, it might sound like I know a lot about trees. I don't think I know a fraction of what an arborist knows. Uh, there's guys that know so much more than I do, and I would always recommend going going to YouTube. We've got some videos from guys on our YouTube page. Steve Bartilla's done some too. Um, get as much information as possible, but also rely on your state's forestry department. There's tons of information out there that's going to help you with this. That's going to uh, reduce your curve. But when you're picking a species, I'm just going to rattle off some of the species that I use for deer uh, habitat. Now, is this going to be perfect with yours maybe maybe not but i'll give you some idea okay this is what i planted over here red pine white pine jack pine austrian pine red spruce white spruce balsam fir tamaracks uh chestnuts chinese chestnuts black cherries silver maples red oak white oak and then we get to the shrubs elderberries service berries gooseberries juniberries uh, crab apples american hazelnuts apples pears cherries plums and persimmons i have not planted persimmons i know people who have um those are just a quick list of trees. So if I'm going to say these are the top 25 trees for deer, that's probably it um, for most of the country. But again, depending upon where you live. Now, let's break that down into some categories. The cover slash bedding slash travel um, are going to be your pines, your spruce, your firs, your conifers. So when you're planning, um, you have to be not only familiar with the species of tree, but you have to be familiar with disease, um, rodent issues, um, uh, insect problems. So let me go through a few things. That, that's the difficult thing that you're going to find, is you're going to fall in love with the idea of planting certain trees only to find out that, damn it, these don't, these won't grow great on my property. And then you start narrowing it down. And that's what I've done. And then you think you got it licked. And then 10 years from now, God takes another card and says, here, play that one. That's that's what this is about. And I think that's what makes it so fascinating for me because it's about creating a, a mini ecosystem. So let me go through it. Red pines. Okay, we call, the, we call them red pines. They're Norway pines. They are imported to... The United States. They were not native. They do fantastic. They grow great in sandy soil. They grow great in rocky soil, uplands, things like that. A great tree that grows extraordinarily fast. It's got good timber value to it. Um, and 
the deer don't eat it too much. Notice how I prefaced that. In a bad year with a high deer population, they will top every single one of those trees, and you're going to be pissed. Don't worry about it. The tree's going to come back. But once they top it, once they eat that stem off, that, that leader, part of that leader, it's going to affect the tree's growth. It's going to be more like a little lollipop, and that's kind of that's that's not bad. Bucks will rub them, but if you plant enough of them, it's going to be great cover. Uh, eventually, though, those trees grow up, and it's basically a desert underneath them because it's all pine needles. The soil is going to become acidic. There's not going to be much that's going to grow there, but it's a good cover tree. I've seen guys plant entire 40-acre parcels with this for great cover, and it's great bedding. So you can create an instant bedding cover. Those things will grow two feet a year at least in good conditions. So that's a good one. A white pine. That's native to my home state of Wisconsin. It's a glorious tree. It's a beautiful tree. How do you tell the difference between a white pine and a red pine? I used to look at my daughters and say, tell me how. The red pines, are the, the needles are stiff, I'd say prickly like my beard, or the white pines were wispy, long and wispy. The white pine is a preferred deer species that they will eat. So you're going to have to be very careful where you plant those. Tremendous tree, stately tree, awesome for turkey uh, uh, roosts. When they get mature, they grow way higher than 60 feet, big round, great lumber, awesome tree. Jack pine, a scr- scrubby pine that grows in sand. Easy tree to plant, easy tree for cover, not much else. Austrian pines, again, that's another non-native. Uh, those grow very fast in, in really crappy soils. Uh, they, they grow those out west. Um, they grow them here, too. They, they work well. So then you get to your spruces, and the spruces are the ones I love for cover because they get thick, and they, they don't have too many pests. And I'm, again, prefacing it. Red spruce grow faster. Um, deer will nip them off in a bad winter if it's very extreme. White spruce, they don't. I absolutely love white spruce. It's my number one favorite tree here where I live. The only problem with a white spruce, it grows slower than a red spruce. Red spruce will grow two feet a year, just like the red pine. Uh, the white spruce grows slower. Uh, spruce in general, more along the lines of like Colorado blue spruce, which are those gorgeous trees you see in people's yards. Um, White spruce, someone, I have not personally seen it, but there's a thing called um, uh, needle drop. It's a disease they get, and it can kill the tree. It's something that you're going to deal with no matter what type of tree you're growing. Balsam fir, awesome tree. Deer are going to eat the hell out of it if you have a lot of deer, so be careful with that. Tamaracks is the one I'm playing with now. The only reason I'm planting tamaracks is I have a couple acres of a swamp, and it's mostly wet ground. Not much will grow in that, but tamaracks will. Um, tamarack, which is the American larch, um, beautiful tree, stately tree. I say that a lot, and I'll say that about just about every tree. Um, those are the ones that turn yellow in fall, just glorious, beautiful colors. But the thing with a tamarack, you're not really getting much cover out of it, but it's a tree that's going to grow where other stuff won't. Now, you could plant, like, uh, red maples. That's, a, that's another one, a very fast-growing you could plant box elders. People think box elders are junk trees. They really are. But it is a form of a maple. And deer love to eat. They will browse the heck out of it. You could plant red maple. You could plant um, box elder in wet areas. The reason why I don't is we just have too many deer around here. So if you have, um, if you, bad, bad pro- uh, real tough problem to have, huh? Too many deer. But if you're in an area that doesn't have a lot of deer, those are some things that I would recommend for um, cover. Um, to touch on the other problems that you have, okay, you got mice, you got insects, you got disease. <clears throat> Can't do anything about disease, really. I mean, not on a large scale, maybe on an individual tree or two, but uh, otherwise it's just like you're you're flipping the coin there. Um, mice on mass plantings, knowing there's not much you can do, but I wage war on mice w- with other efforts and chipmunks because of ticks. So um, I try to keep the mice populations at bay the best I can. Sun scald is something you're going to deal with if you put tree protectors on. So what you're going to do is if you put those plastic, I would recommend the plastic tubes, but I put them on in fall and I take them off in spring. And I'm putting those on my apple trees. I'm putting on anything that I don't want to get girdled because of mice or even a rabbit, uh, shrews, voles, all sorts of critters. They will chew the bark around a tree in the wintertime and it will kill the tree. So I make sure I put those on my, my prized, like, nut trees and fruit trees and stuff. 
take them off in spring. And as far as um, deer fencing, <clears throat> excuse me, not much you can do there, but I do it on my apples. And what I do with apple trees, any fruit tree, is I just go to the store and I get that. It's five foot high rolls of that. I think it's 12 gauge wire. It's got the little holes in it, uh, square openings. And I will just cut. It's expensive, but I will cut that around and I will just make it jagged and stick that in the ground over the tree. You don't have to get too fancy with that as long as it's going to stay around the tree. And that will keep the deer away from it from browsing. So those are a couple things that you have to think about there. Um, the next thing that I would get into here um, is we talked about cover species. I know I'm talking a lot here, Ian, so I'm going to have to take a break. The next thing I talk about is um, uh, food species. And uh, I did mention a lot of these. I want to highlight, if you're in the south, the problem you're going to have there is your fruit offerings are probably going to be less on trees and more for shrubs. So if you live in the south, let's just say south of, uh, well, you get like middle of Illinois south of there, you're going to be, you're not going to be planting too many apple trees. So you could be looking at things like pears and persimmons and plums. Again, I don't have personal uh, experience with persimmons. I know a lot of people, friends of mine in Alabama, places like that, Georgia, they plant persimmons and it's fabulous for deer. Uh, plums, fabulous for deer. It depends on your deer population. Again, you're going to be doing some work to keep those things alive and keep them producing. Up here, apples, pears, cherries to an extent. I'd stick away from that unless you just want to do it for birds or just for fun. Uh, bitter cherries are actually pretty cool. Um, birds will eat them. Turkeys will eat them. Um, I use them for, I'll make cherry bread and stuff out of them. But that's more of a kind of a, just a hobby tree for me. Um, the bigger producers would be pears and apples. Apples are hands down my favorite because you get a ton of food out of apples. And what I do with apples is um, I talk about orchards, but, you know, honestly, if you have five or more trees, I'm going to consider that an orchard. And I, there's other ways you can do it that's going to be more beneficial for your hunting. Um, and I would do that in uh, grow those trees in pairs of two or, or maybe even three. Add a third one around a food plot make sure it doesn't get sprayed you know when you're when you're doing your food plot work have that cross pollination and is it going to be like a complete magnet where it's like every deer no but i know places where you could put two or three apple trees around a very small just say a eighth acre kill plot essentially and if you have um trees that are are producing like you can get early producers i've got state fair trees that will produce perfect apples by august end of august you got a beautiful apple or you can get like some spy varieties prairie spies things like that um that those trees aren't dropping their apples until october november might even be holding on to them longer than that so then if you have two or three apple trees that's what i would do is i would pick a couple um late bearing early bearing varieties and pair those together in a situation like that. Um, does it pay to have an apple orchard? Yes, absolutely it does. Better pollination, you have a better odds of that you're actually going to take care of them. those trees. Apples are a time investment, especially in a drought year. You're going to have to be hauling water back there or something to get them water in those early years. But once they get established, look out. I mean, I know places where guys will have 10 trees in an orchard mature apple trees and they're killing a big buck out of that thing that spot every single year because you know steve would say well it's not fair yeah it's fair to me if i put in all that work and and grew those trees deer are gonna be it's, it's candy for them and it's a very i think deer are attracted to it number one the carbohydrates number two it's sweet but number three deer inherently know that is a limited supply food and they're going to go to the, it's just no different than acorns. If you've got white oak acorns or red oak acorns, the red oak acorns have more uh, tannin in them. It's more acidic than a white oak. Those white oak are, are much um, milder on, on, on the taste and their digestive system. So they're going to go for that. S same thing with an apple tree. Um, <clears throat> the other thing I mentioned before is when you're planting, say, fruit trees, 
pair that with some shrubs or some nut trees. Now, ideally, we like to think, yeah, man, I'd love to plant oaks. Or An oak, for me, is a tree you're planting for somebody 70 years from now. You're probably not going to get too much benefit out of that other than watching it grow, which is cool. Um, and if you have that luxury, by all means, do it. Uh, red, different types of red oaks, different types of white oaks. Those are awesome. But for me, yeah, I'm going to be a little bit. Uh, time is on my not on my side. I want to plant things like chestnuts. So let me talk about chestnuts for a minute. I did I did mention that before, but we you know we know about the American chestnut. Okay, Ian, what was the, I just gave it away. The number, I'm just going to tell you, the number one tree in America when settlers got here was the American chestnut. It wasn't like a different kind of tree. It was the American chestnut. American chestnut. Okay. It was the number one tree in America. And I believe. Didn't it like go extinct or, or almost Pretty much. Yeah. And what happened was, now this I should remember because I love trees, but I don't remember it. There was a non-native tree that was brought to these shores and basically wiped out the American chestnut. Uh, it brought, uh, I can't remember what it brought with it, but it basically brought a disease or a pest with it that basically wiped out the American chestnut. You can still find American chestnuts very, very small, like you said, almost extinct, very rare. A place in su- southeastern, or, sorry, southwestern Wisconsin has a original strain of them that researchers cannot figure out why they were not affected. But was it blight? Blight. Thank you. Uh, blight wiped them out. Um, Dunstan chestnuts, again, that was developed by Chestnut Hills, uh, our friends. And basically that is a blight-resistant chestnut. Mostly grows in the south. Didn't they like crossbreed like a Chinese chestnut with yes. an American chestnut to make that? It's a beautiful tree. Um, gorgeous tree if you can get it established. The Chinese chestnuts, which is interesting, unbelievably easy to grow. They're not going to affect... You have to always step back and think about, if I'm planting something that isn't native, is there going to be problems with that? You don't have that problem with the Chinese chestnut. It grows up more like a bush, extremely hardy, and once you get that thing going, holy cow, Katie, bar the door, because you're going to have turkeys and squirrels and deer and... Everything else are going to be eating those. If I had the land, I'd plant a ton of them. Um, the other thing that is more, uh, another easy one would be hazelnuts, and that's the American hazelnut. That can be, pl- interesting note here is you can buy hazelnuts. They come as a little twig, you know, you get like 20 of them for 15 bucks, and you can plant that in a hole and grow a, a hazelnut, quote-unquote, tree. It's probably going to be about 15 maybe 20 feet high at at max maturity or if you just want to do it you know we're talking about uh doing corridors and travel corridors what i've done i did this two years ago on my new property is i wanted to have i kind of wanted to funnel deer straight through the middle of my property so what i did is instead of planting the hazelnuts as trees i planted them in clumps of two and three so what that's going to happen is those little twigs are all going to mold together. It's kind of going to look like a, I guess, like a lilac bush. You know, you get a lilac bush, it's like all unkempt, and it gets to be like 10, 12 feet high. That's what those things will be. And those, what I did is I just did an S-curve. I love S-curves because basically it gives deer and turkeys a reason just to mill around. And once those trees get mature, uh, I should say those bushes get mature, I'm going to have you know, a hazelnut is you know what hazelnuts are they used to call them filberts at christmas that was the nut that nobody wanted it was in the remember the mixed nuts you'd get and you'd have to have the nutcracker and you have like walnuts and almonds and stuff and it's like the 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 filberts was what we call them they're about the size of your thumbnail but they're perfectly round like a marble that's what a hazelnut is but now you see it you go to the coffee shop and it's like oh hazelnut coffee and all this stuff chocolate covered hazelnut everything that too yeah yeah and that's what they are so you can actually um you can enjoy them as much as you know, if once they get productive, and it doesn't take long, it takes I don't know three, four years before you start seeing the, the they start they start uh, uh, producing, and then um, once they start producing, you can get bushels of of nuts out of one of those shrubs. So I talked about uh, chestnuts, hazelnuts, um, the oaks. Like I said, 
something if you have time and you want to deal with it. Um, a, a beautiful tree if it's going to be a standalone tree or something like that. The other ones I'd like to touch on would be your um, other shrubs. I'm looking at our time here. The other shrubs would be like elderberries. I love, love, love elderberries. But uh, one, one thing you need to, okay, short sidebar there. When I was a little kid, my mom used to make pancakes like not every Saturday, but like most Saturdays like in summer. And uh, she would, my mom, bless her heart, bless her soul, she would like put some weird stuff in the food. <laughs> and one time she made a, a quote-unquote apple pie out of zucchini and she and she flavored it with apple seasoning. And she swore to me that it was apple pie while I bit into it, and there was like a peel. And I'm like, Ma, what? It was a zucchini. But she would make, um, she's looking down smiling at me right now, I know. Elderberry pancakes were my number one favorite all-time pancake, and I haven't had them since. So I'm like, I'm going to do this again. Basically, what you did, now be careful because elderberries are, are, are noxious. Um, the berries have to be ripe. You can get sick if you don't eat ripe berries. But she didn't put the berries in. She put the, um, the flowers the elderberry flowers in the pancake batter. It was like the most freaking awesome pancake you've ever had. So what? Uh, but with elderberries, you need a pollinator, uh, a cross pollinator of an elderberry. So they have, um, and I can't remember what they call them. There's a there's a red one, which is like a dark purple one, and then, well, I should say there's a purple one, and then there's a red one. I can't remember what the names are, but normally when you buy those, um, if you buy them from a nursery or if you buy them from a like like a I'll, I'll throw a plug out here for Jung's uh, the, the, you know garden centers in Wisconsin. Um, they will sell they won't sell you just one elderberry bush because they know you're going to need a pollinator. So you'll you'll need those. But that is fabulous for like turkeys and grouse and uh, woodcock and doves and and things like that that you can create more travel through your property with. So I would recommend that. And then there's other ones. Um, really look into like service berries and June berries and gooseberries. Um, a big, big, and I think pretty, com, I'm pretty confidently can say that Don Higgins would agree with me here, that crab apples are probably one of the most under overlooked species that you can plant for wildlife. Crab apples, you know, what crab apple tree looks like. Um, Great pollinators for all things, small little quote unquote apples, but some of those varieties can produce so much fruit that the other thing about it is that fruit will hang on to the tree probably to the end of the hunting season, if not beyond. So the thing you need to understand there is when you're planting trees for food, that food is not hitting the ground all at the same time. So you might be having food hitting the ground from, let's say, August all the way through January. So what did, what are we doing? We're getting the deer and the turkeys and everything else to spend a disproportionate amount of time on our property. And that's what we can do with some of those uh, species. Uh, all right. Let me wrap this up with a short um, bit on... Um, I already did that, didn't I? I talked about the... Uh, I talked about the uh, the pests. My biggest, I, so I'll just wrap it up with a summary in the fact that have a plan. Don't overthink yourself, but have a plan. Don't bite off too much that you can't chew. And then also um, spacing on your trees. Don't jam them all into one spot. And think how that's going to evolve over time. I think you're going to have fun with this. I hope you can hear the level of excitement in my voice because just thinking about talking about this today, it tells me all the things I want to do yet this year that I'm not going to get to be able to do this year, but it also gives me new ideas um, for planting trees. The other thing that I would recommend that is if you have open land, be judicious, like... Don't just run out there and fill it up with trees if you're trying to manage it for deer hunting because you still want to plant your food plots. You still want to do things like that. Um, and if you sit there and sock in a bunch of trees, one of the best, I'll, I'll leave you with an example on that. One of the best examples of that was one of the properties I had. It had about an acre and a quarter opening, and that was really the only open ground on that property. 
And when I first started planting trees on there, the temptation was, well, I'll just fill that whole thing up with trees. Wouldn't have been the smartest thing. I didn't do that. And I'm thankful that, well, like I said, I don't own the property anymore. But from the sake of that hunting property, the, the best thing there was what I did is I staggered it with a little bit of windbreak, um, a couple small orchards. I call them fruit orchards because I had various trees. I did have pears and plums and apples, but they were not all together. One was on one side, one was on the other side. And then I rimmed the outside of it with um, uh, bushes or, you know, like uh, the shrubs. So it was hazelnuts. It was um, a few chestnuts, actually more than a few. It was probably a good 12, 15 chestnuts. So one thing that I would recommend is if you do have a limited amount of open ground, um, maybe rimming that ground with some of this, whether it's shrubs or mass-bearing trees or windbreak trees to create diverse edge habitat, which is number one for deer. Again, you might have other aspirations or goals, but my goals always are I want to see a lot of deer on my property and I want to do it in a way that's going to be more conducive for uh, travel and, you know, keeping them there. So hopefully, um, maybe I taught you a thing or two today. Maybe I didn't. Maybe you knew all this already. But if, if if I did... I would appreciate you liking and uh, subscribing to our channel or our podcast. And until next time, if there's any questions you guys have on this, I'd be more than happy. I'm always accessible. So what I would say is if you're listening to the podcast, uh, just jump over to our YouTube page. It's YouTube backslash DDH online. And you can uh, find the podcast in the video version there and just make a comment on the video because I see most of those or the producers will tell me, hey, Dan, there's somebody has a question for you. I'd be more than happy to answer questions on some of this stuff and help you better enjoy the outdoors by planting trees for tomorrow. Until next Thursday, my name again is Dan Schmidt. This is the Deer Talk Now podcast from Deer and Deer Hunting. We bring you these every Thursday. Just look for it wherever podcasts can be found. Again, Deer Talk Now. We'll catch you next week for another episode. Deer Talk Now is brought to you by 10 Point Crossbow Technologies. Whether I'm in a tree stand, ground blind, or spot and stalk hunting, I know the Nitro 505 is up to any challenge. Check one out at a dealer near you or log on to 10pointcrossbows.com for more information.